The following is a member of the Burke Reviews podcast family. BurkeReviews.com Top five movies! Movies! Top five. Top five movies. Top five. Top five movies. Movies. Top five. Top top five movies. Come on. Top five movies. Hey everybody, welcome to Top Five Movies. I'm John Burke, and this is going to be a special episode this week. Um, I'm actually coming on a little early. Uh, it's just going to be me, but I'm interviewing Pablo Bryant, who directed a film I saw at the Florida Film Festival. Um, that I really, really enjoyed, and I reached out to him after seeing it and uh, decided to uh, see if he'd want to do an episode of Top 5 Movies with me. So, um, in a little bit, uh, we're going to be getting to our interview with Pablo. Um, he directed the film Mr. Fish, colon, Cartooning from the Deep End, which is a documentary about a political cartoonist uh, named Mr. Fish, or at least goes by the name Mr. Fish. Um, it's really compelling. I'm not sure yet where you'll be able to see it um, soon, but that's something I'll be asking Pablo about. I just wanted to go ahead and do the uh, the introduction solo. Um, it is just me this week that will be interviewing Pablo, but I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity to talk about uh, making this film, um, what inspired him to get there, and what made him get into film in the first place. It's always a question I like to hear answered. So I hope you enjoy uh, this episode of our Top 5 Movies We'll be back next week with a normal Top 5 episode, so until then, enjoy the interview. Alright everybody, I am back, and with me is Pablo Bryant. How's it going, Pablo? It's going well. How about yourself? It is going pretty well. I just actually got back from Tribeca Film Festival, so I'm a little exhausted, but I'm doing okay. <laughs> Alright. Um, nice. Yeah, I've, I've had a, a lot of film festivals this year, so I've, I've been traveling a little more than I did in the previous years of uh, since Burke Reviews came into existence. But um, I reached out to, to you because I got to see your film, um, Mr. Fish, and I'm going to screw up the rest of it. It's cartooning from the deep end. That's right. All right. Yeah. Um, I I really enjoyed your movie a whole lot, and um, that's always refreshing because I would have still asked for an interview probably either way, um, but would have expected a no had I not liked it. Uh, uh. <laughs> but... Um, it's always it's easier when I, I enjoyed a film, but um, I thought we'd talk about the whole process. And even before we get into specifically Mr. Fish, um, normally I would introduce you as director Pablo Bryant, which you are. But I was looking at your IMDb credits and you've done um, a lot of cinematography work and some acting work as well. Yeah, yeah. I started off as an actor a long time ago in this sort of a different parallel universe uh, with different laws governing its gravity but um, um, my father was a cameraman actually my parents were documentary filmmakers oh they made films together and I um, he brought me on as his, his assistant when I was about 14 and I had already been doing still photography for a while he um, he built a dark room for me and sort of showed wow. me how to develop still images and um, so I was always always into photography and, <clears throat> and then I but I wanted to be an actor and I did work uh, some as an actor I I did television and films and whatnot um, but when that road started to uh, you know I guess work dried up for me at a certain point and mm -hmm. I didn't know how to go forward and it felt really unsatisfying and I wanted to you know, I just wanted to keep doing something creative, and um, you know, I had worked with my father enough as a as his assistant, and then as a sort of B camera on some documentary projects that he did. That I, you know, I felt um, I felt good about going in that direction because it had always been something I'd done, really. So I became, I started getting into camera work more and more and more, and have been basically a working camera operator for the last 14, 15 years. Now, did you end up going to film school too, or did you just go right into the the business side of it? No, I mean when I when I really decided to make the leap, I um, I had studied still photography um, at some colleges, uh, Pasadena City College and um, college up in Northern Cal, and um, but when I decided to really turn hard towards 
being a cameraman, I, I went back to, I studied some elective courses at UCLA on cinematography and filters mm. and cinema language and things like that. But I never got a degree in filmmaking or, uh, you know, from working in as, as a, um, I never got a degree uh, for cinematography. Got it. Well, I mean, that's, that's always, I teach um, a high school film course at, mm-hmm. uh, at my local high school, so it is always interesting when, uh, to, when I talk to people in, in the industry to find out their kind of stance on film school because there are people who feel like it's unnecessary, there are people who advocate for it, and then there are people who I think fall kind of in the middle that you should pursue um, getting better at your craft, whether that's through traditional school or you know just taking a few classes or um, even just getting hands-on experience. But um, Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, my God, it's... It's such a difficult craft, and it's also such a technical craft. Uh, you know, especially from uh, as a cameraman, you have to know a lot about what the camera's doing and how it's doing it, and how to manipulate it, and um, especially now digitally. But um, you know, always, God, just look. People have suffered to learn what you could learn from them. You know, why not mm-hmm. learn from people who who have done it well? Um, of course. I, I, I'm not one of the people that would say don't go to school for for filmmaking. What what made you decide to um, direct a film? I you know I had I had worked on other people's films as a cameraman, um, uh, other people's uh, documentaries, and um, you know I think I had been looking for a subject. I had made a short documentary about, I want to say about 12 years ago now, about the epidemic of homeless children in the United States. Um, And a group that was doing outreach work to try and reach them and help them. And, um, you know, I think I always wanted to do another project. It wasn't, um, I think it was sort of an unconscious desire for the most part. Mm -hmm. But when I found Mr. Fish, and his art, um, I uh, it was um, I felt very strongly that I wanted to make a film about him. And how did that end up? Like you said, when you found him, did you find him online, or were you introduced to him? Well, no, I, I actually heard him on the radio. He was ah. uh, promoting his most recent book, his first book called uh, "Go Fish," and he was talking about how he experiences each day as the five stages of grief, but in reverse. Mm. So that wakes up with acceptance for the world, and then he gets angry with the world, and he tries to compromise with the world, and then he goes to bed in denial just so he can get some sleep. And I found it to be just such an exquisitely succinct, beautiful metaphor for what it's like to encounter the world with all of its uh, darkness and all of its... um, monumental problems and the exploitation and and all the horrors really that we are uh, faced with every day if you have your eyes open even just a little bit the world is an extremely uh, dark place sometimes yeah, for sure I, I think it's important to remember that there's you know lots to be joyful for but um, you know, there's 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 some really dark realities out there that we're facing in modern reality, and and um, it was just what a what a what an amazing metaphor to, in terms of how we experience, go, you know, going through all those emotions when we when we hear or see something, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, hear or see something that's going on. So, I uh, I got his book because I was really intrigued by it, just by his mind, you know. Yeah, and his book was full of these cartoons that did the same thing. They were they were funny and they were really precise and um, uh, but they were a little bit heartbroken. There was always a sense of the artist's heartbreak when it came to some of the subjects, but they were they were also uh, just brilliantly funny. I mean, really, really cutting uh, satire that is was just outrageous and free thinking and, and just um, it felt really fresh like someone was looking at the problems of the world and creating this art about it and doing it in this really fresh way and in a way that wasn't heavy-handed I think um, mm. I think political parties left and right um, can get really heavy-handed with with the ways that they want to fix the world and the ways that they want us to try and engage with the world and 
the way that we should see the world. And this wasn't doing any of that. It was, it was really, it was really just light and funny, but also, like I said, very meaningful. Um, the issues he was he was tackling in his work, for sure. Yeah, and I I picked up on that watching the documentary. I also I didn't know um, who he was or even what Mr. Fish was. Uh, the, I will admit the poster on for the film was really intriguing. You know, like his head just above the waterline. Um, yeah. And so I uh, I was captivated for sure. Um, and documentaries, I I tend to enjoy documentaries, um, although I I do tend to lean towards narrative films first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but when one catches me, man, it, it's it's always it's one I want to talk about with other people. Like I want people to see a documentary that I was moved by or uh, found an interest in. And I, I went to school originally to be a journalist um, mm-hmm. and it ended up becoming a teacher. So uh, I feel a kinship to him in this movie, too, because I went into school thinking I would, you know, as a journalist, thinking I would change the world with my reporting and came out and looked at all the outlets and found that that wasn't how the newspaper system worked anymore. Not to mention it's a, it was a dying medium still around, but it's still, you know, slowly becoming archaic with online being the the primary source. And, um, I found the, the struggle he has in the film with finding outlets for his art is, is frustrating to him, but also to me, the viewer as I want people to see what he's doing. I was, you know, very compelled by the way it's presented in the film. And, um, you know, I've always known about political cartoons, but like, I don't think I've ever seen them like his. And that was. That's right. There's nobody like him. I mean, he really is sort of in a class of his own. And um, you know, I think it's easy to forget that political cartoonists, they are editorial cartoonists. They are in the journalism world. And mm-hmm. just as much as journalists can no longer make a living, uh, cartoonists are 10 times. Um, they have it 10 times worse. Um, in the last century, there were over 2,000 full-time employed cartoonists uh, working in America. Now there are actually less than 20. So the field is, wow. is really dead. And the film looks at the death of that art as it affects him you know, personally. Yeah. Um, and it's a real struggle because, um, you know, he, he gets some feedback in the film that if he just toned it down yeah I mean when I are talking we've seen the film and um, we know his work but just to give some context for the listeners I mean it's really when I say it's really outrageous I mean people are like blinking and gasping and just look just blown away by where he will go with an image and yeah. what he will how far he will take things and um, it's really like the old school 70s satire that is just it's savage and it's outrageous and it's sometimes it's dirty his yep. language or the imagery he'll draw it's graphic sometimes um, not all the time not every cartoon but he can go there in a blink of blink of an eye so um, you know that that art form uh, especially the really outrageous stuff that he plays with doesn't have any home anymore there's nowhere to see it you know, there's no magazines or newspapers that'll publish it. Um, yeah. So we explore all that in the film as well. And, and you know, we are, we're losing, cartoonists, here's the thing, cartoonists like him uh, uh, and cartoonists throughout time were um, looking at politics and society and commenting on it with imagery. Um, and, you know, we have, we have, uh, we have writers and we've always had writers but imagery mm-hmm. is a different thing I- imagery hits you in a different way imagery can tickle your brain in a certain way um, and it's just different it's a different experience it sort of penetrates a little bit deeper sometimes especially if it's well done and yeah. to not have artists commenting on our politics and not getting feedback from artists ab- about our politics and about our society is a real loss it's just a loss, and I and I'm not saying this as a fan of political cartoons. I don't think most of them are very good. I I um I just I just don't think they're really pushing things in a in a very interesting way or elevating the conversation. So yeah, I I, I say this not as someone who's just like cuckoo for cartoons. <laughs> I'm not that guy, you know. Yeah. But when and you I see something that 
does. Yeah, yeah exactly. Something that is vital and fresh and, you know, uh, can really cut through the political noise and the nonsense and have something to say. I mean, it's really, um, it's really refreshing. Well, that was one of my favorite scenes um, in the film because I, I, I mentioned I'm a teacher now, um, but he teaches uh, part-time like, from his ex- uh explanation very part-time but we get to see him in action yeah. and the uh the quote that if you can't look you can't see i just thought uh yeah. was, was such a one important part of the film i think it really yeah. kind of sets the tone but also just so insightful and i think it again speaks volumes of how intelligent he is and yeah. um i mean really it emphasizes not just for political cartoons but i think all visual mediums um the significance i mean there are the old tri expressions that a picture is worth a thousand words or whatever and i think maybe that's been said too many times where people don't think it's legitimate but it really really is and that's i think with the political cartoons that he does and with photography and with film we have this ability to express so many ideas in the simplest of ways with pictures where people can really you know see it and and can connect with it and i i think that's this documentary does such a great job of of showing that um and really getting to know him as a person too. Um, I thought including his wife and family into the film are some of the best moments throughout. Um, and that's, I, I know there are some people out there who they see, they hear the word documentary and they think Ken Burns, you know, they think PBS. Oh, yeah. No, this, this is not a Ken Burns documentary. I love Ken Burns. Yeah. But, uh, my film starts off with him describing how he made these paper airplanes and wrote, can I say what I can, what? Yeah, can I yeah. Say? You, you sure can. Uh, he wrote the words, fuck your ass on a hundred pieces of paper and <laughs> turned them into paper airplanes and threw them out the window at age seven. And he did this for this sort of um, incredible desire to free humanity from the notion of obscenity, from the actual notion that anything could be obscene. Um, so no, this is not a Ken Burns documentary. Yeah, no, <laughs> this is a very different animal. Um, um, I just want to also give a little a touch back on what you were saying because I think it's interesting that um, you know what, when he's saying in the film, "If you can't look, you can't see," he's talking about unsettling images, mm-hmm. um, and he's using some photographs as an example. But his artwork. Is is also in that realm of the unsettling. Yeah, and and um, and you know the film has a lot to do with our if if we can't as a culture sit with what is unsettling, how in God's green earth can we ever um, really face it and fix it and deal with it and. And sort of see, you know, and that that has to do with things outside of us and things inside of us, you know. Yeah. Fish is very much a person who's who have worked through those those concepts for himself about, you know, if if something unsettles me, let me look at it, let me examine it. That's happening inside me. So it's it often is the case with human beings that something unsettles them and they point their finger to what what is unsettling them, which is something outside of themselves, but their experience is inside of themselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, art has such an amazing ability, and and Mr. Fish in particular has this incredible ability to create unsettling images while kindly asking you to examine those feelings, you know, and I think that's so valuable. Yeah, uh, agreed. I mean, he's basically encouraging us to have the tough conversations and to try to fix those yeah. problems and, and deal with them rather than ignore them or pretend they don't exist because it's unpleasant. And yeah. And, and, and political cartoons could do that. You know, it used to be that you would cut them out and you would bring them to work and put them on the, you know, bulletin board or something. And, and you could all stand around and talk about it and, you know, yeah. it could create public discourse. And now we share things and we could, we, we can still have discourse about them, but we're sort of doing it through, through, through online platforms. Forms. We're not doing it in person so much. So yeah, and the veil of anim- uh, you know being anonymous is is used as yeah. a crutch sometimes to sure. to it's troll people or to you know yeah. not really have a legitimate conversation, but just to be awful. You know. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole culture of trolling that prides itself on how that it can just be awful, and and for some reason that's some kind of mark of of. Um, 
some some kind of that it's somehow worthwhile to just yeah. be awful. You know, they 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 like to hide. I mean, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but um, troll culture likes to hide under the um, protection of free speech. You know, that they're yeah. just exercising their free speech, but it's really uh, not really valuable. Yeah, they're not adding to the conversation necessarily or yeah. trying to work things out. They're just trying to shock or hurt. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that I think... What, you and I are going to get such a ton of shit just for saying this. I know, right? <laughs> we are putting ourselves with a target on us. But, yeah. you know, um, but we're I think we're both aware of that culture. So, you know, we, we just have to take that because that's part of it, right? You put something out into the world, whether it's a film or a podcast, you're going to get criticism that is... Yeah warranted and valid and then you're going to get a lot more criticism that's just someone trying to be a jerk yeah. and, and mess with you yeah and i'm all i'm always down for the conversation like if you disagree and we can t- you know we can have a conversation where you're not you know attacking me personally um, yeah it's great and and fish really loves creating those conversations and and um you know he's gotten death threats for his work yeah um, uh, but interestingly enough, both under Bush and Obama, and I would be surprised if he hasn't gotten at least one death threat yet from some of the Trump cartoons that he's done. But I imagine, yeah. Um, I mean, well, that's the thing with him too is that I love the he's very clear to explain he's not for one party or the other. He's for I would say he's for humanity. He's what's best for society and and people as a whole, not regardless of party lines or. Like, I mean, I, I like to call it tribe culture that we have yeah. where we, we want to, you know, we're rooting for a football team. We're not just rooting for them. We're a part of them. And we, we yeah. feel this obligation to defend our territory and tell everyone else they're wrong. And it's, you know, we do that with uh, movies. You know, as a film critic, there are people who I know if I dislike a movie um, that they love, like I, I'm not a fan of Avatar and <laughs> I will get, you know, aggressive like arguments. I'm just like, look, you, you can like it. You're welcome yeah. to like it. I don't think you yeah. should, but you yeah. can, you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's interesting. I mean, uh, oh god, I don't know. What do you say about that? Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you got my mind all confused just by saying the word avatar. I don't even <laughs> to think anymore. The, and that's and that's the concern, right? With four that's of the it. concern, yeah. <laughs> um, but so. You, you made this uh, documentary, and I was able to see it um, because of the Florida Film Festival in Orlando. Um, how are people going to be able to see uh, Mr. Fish cartooning from the dark side? From the deep end. Deep end. I knew I was going to screw like it up. Dark, the dark side, though. It's got I, a whole Star Wars reference. And I am a Star Wars nerd, so it's hard to not. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just doing festivals right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're having a really just beautiful festival run. Right after I, I did Florida... Uh, I did the Ashland Film Festival, and we just picked up a special jury prize. Oh, nice. uh, Best documentary at the Ashland Film Festival. We've already won this uh, grand jury prize at Slamdance. And so we're doing really beautifully in the festival run, and people are responding just with such such affection for the film and for Mr. Fish and for the ideas and subjects that you and I have been talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. the value of this kind of art and the death of journalism and and all these things so um right now it's just festivals i'm going to hot docs up in toronto uh in about four days after i get back from there it's going to be at a couple festivals in the bay area one is called doc lands film festival and then the other one is the san francisco doc fest film festival and then we're just waiting to hear from back from a handful of other festivals um and we're talking with some distribution companies. Great. We basically landed our foreign distribution, and we are um, trying to iron out the details for, for a domestic distribution company to take the film. So it'll have a life. It'll go out there. It'll be on platforms. I'm, you know, they have to sell the film, but um, you know, the Amazons and the iTunes are, are very easily doable, so it'll, yeah. it'll be out there. That's great. Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, it'll be out there in other ways, too. You know, um, I'm not sure what television opportunities will actually materialize, but, you know, that's the filmmaking business. You make you mm-hmm. make the damn thing and then you sell the damn thing. <laughs> that's uh, completely true. And yeah. it's it's frustrating because I, I, I've been going to the Florida Film Festival for, for three years now. 
Um, and now I, I just I went to South by and I went to Tribeca this year, and it, it's I get to see some amazing movies and then you know sometimes they don't get distribution for whatever reason, and yeah. it kills me because I'm like no these are these are great people need to yeah. see this movie and um, so like uh, with documentaries it's even it's I'd say it's harder to see it in a theater on average unless you live in one of the major cities uh, where art is truly appreciated. Um, yeah. Or if you don't go to festivals, you know you're you're less likely to get to see a doc on a big screen. But uh, well, that's sort of sort of love, like part of what the film is about, right? You've got this amazing artist. Everybody who sees the film says hey, he's my new favorite artist. Yeah. Um, and I can't believe I didn't know about him. And I'm going to start following him. And and even how can I help him? I'd like to help him. I mean, people really fall in love with Mr. Fish when they see the film. And yeah. And he can't make a living at what he does and because uh. part you know as we touch on in the film there's political correctness issues but there's you know everything is is also has to fit in a consumer model ish you know it's got to it's got to fit into uh, a, a consumer plan and a marketing plan and yeah. um, when the world is run that way I mean we have we, we get what we get and um, and and but when art is run that way, it's it's a whole another kettle of fish. It's just it's just the wrong approach, you know, to yeah. to to um, keeping art vital in our culture. I mean, that's why there's things like the National Endowment of the Arts, and that's why some of our national budget goes to the arts because it's you know it should. It should. <laughs> I hundred percent agree with that. Um, yeah. So my, me as a filmmaker and Mr. Fish as an artist are in somewhat similar, you know, situations where if the powers that be don't see that it fits into a, um, uh, uh consumer model somehow that it, uh, you know, we, they can't figure out what the demographics are for this film and thus who to then, sell it to. Yeah. Then, then, you know, then nobody gets to see it. And, um, um, hopefully, I think we're past that point with our distribution. But it's it's interesting to kind of be in the same shoes as as, as the subject of my film, you know. Yeah, and it's it's one thing because there are you know the people who seek out documentaries, who so that's their primary source, and then there are those who are you know resistant to the idea that there can't be entertaining. And I, if you're listening to this, I will tell you now, you will be entertained with this documentary for sure. Oh, yeah. It is such a compelling story relatable story on so many sides because he you really get to know him as a person as well as the artist and i think both stories are super compelling and the way you've presented them are are you know very true like it feels like a narrative in a lot of ways except it's this guy and it's uh i just i was really really impressed and glad that i um got to see it because again there's so many films at the festival and there's only so many time slots you know picking and yeah. choosing can be a, a struggle and sometimes I pick and I later regret other times I end up seeing something that I hadn't planned on and am, and am excited and I think this falls into the latter for sure I, I didn't know if I was going to be able to squeeze it in um, and I was able to see it uh, thanks to you and super glad that I did um, yeah, well, I appreciate that I mean I, you're you're not alone I, uh, a lot of people have a very similar reaction and um, it's it's really um, it's really delightful, you know. I mean, yeah. I, I, I I've gotten to this point because we've done so many festivals that there there was sort of a middle point where I got I was getting a little tired, you know, of going to them. Oh yeah. Um, and now I, I've kind of been rejuvenated because um, the last couple of festivals, Florida and Ashland, were just the reaction was just amazing, and and um, um, you know it's it's. It's great. I had to remind myself, like, oh yeah, this is this is real. This, you know, pe- it, people say that. It's a, they say, oh, this is what it's all about, sitting there with the audience. And I think I was getting a little jaded, and and just recently hmm. I re- reminded, like, no, no, it's so it's so much what it's about. It's um, you know, the 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 communal experience of art as a film, and then inside of that of this particular artist, Mr. Fish. So. It's sort of a double whammy that way. It's good that way. Agreed. Um, that just one last time. The documentary is Mr. Fish cartooning from the deep end. I got it right this time. I apologize. 
uh, for earlier. Um, but we are going to transition in because we want to know what your all-time top five movies are. Yeah, I have my little list, and now I don't... Hold on, let me just pull What's it up thing? here. Yeah, okay. No problem. Yeah, I'm, okay, I'm good. So we're going to go from number five to number one. Um, and before oh. you start your list, I like to give the listeners a spoiler warning because I like to give you the option of saying whatever you want to about these movies, why you like them. And so, listeners, uh, before you listen from this point, feel free to check our website, BurkeReviews.com, and you can see Pablo's list there ahead of time with no spoilers. And then you can decide if you want to finish listening or wait till you've seen the movies. So with that, Pablo, let's start with your number five. Well, see, you got me in a bit of a pickle here because I just wrote down five movies and I didn't put them in order. So that's my bad. Now oh, it's okay. On the fly, figure out. I mean, you can go in how, that. How to... Well, I'll just, you know what? I'll, do, I'll just do them in the way, in the order I wrote them. Exactly. And, I, and I'll say this. This is the friggin' Sophie's Choice of lists and it's just not fair or right to ask anyone to choose five. But Agreed. <laughs> Um, uh, right. So the first film that I wrote down, and I will just say this too, that if you ask me this in a week, mm-hmm. the list would probably be different. But yep. um, the first film that came to mind was a documentary called Darwin's Nightmare. Mm. Um, it is just an exceptionally well-made documentary that is um, almost really it's fully a verite footage. Meaning oh, okay. there's no sit down interviews, and um, it, it, it's it's um, God, it's hard to describe. I, I guess I should have worked on this more. Oh no, it's okay. Uh, I mean, I've never heard yeah. of this, so no, no. But I am now going to be looking this up because that's one of the things I love having these conversations. Is I usually get introduced to a few movies that I've somehow either not seen or not heard of, and that's always a pleasant surprise for me. So I like to to look into this. So Darwin's yeah. Nightmare. Yes, Darwin's Nightmare. Oh. It's even um, relatively new, right? Like from 2004? 2004, yeah. It's 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 about Lake Victoria in Tanzania. Ah. And um, I, 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 I sort of don't... Do you want me to describe the film? I, I don't even know how yeah, I could. I mean, you could... There's a... This is a lot of... It's very freeform. So you could say why you think it's uh, worthy of being on like a this high up on a list why people should watch it what it was about the film that stuck with you i mean literally there's no wrong answers man it's it's whatever you uh want to say about it well it's just okay so it's just an exceptionally well-made um film that looks at this lake in tanzania and all of the politics and um that go around the extraction of the fish in the lake. Mm. These these people are starving around this lake, and all the fish are being pulled out and sent to Europe for the wealthy to consume. Oh, and man. so it's a it's just extremely powerful, um, beautifully made film that um, you would you'd have to sit down with like ten experts and global politicians and um, community organizers uh, for hours to talk about global politics and global capitalism to try and get what this film does by just sort of being there. That's what I I guess that's the best way to put it. It feels like the cameraman is just there. The fly on the wall style. It's like you said. This whole world unfolds before you and you get to understand so much of of what is going on in that place and and why. Um, It's like a piece of magic to me, that film. It's, I'm sold. Uh, I'm actually, we're doing a documentary study in my film class uh, right now with my first year students. And I'm always on the look for uh, interesting or compelling types of docs. So, um, because, you know, they all know the big ones. Like, they know Super Size Me and they know Bowling for Columbine. But I'm always on the lookout for more fringe films that they haven't either already heard everything about or some have seen. You know, like Super Size Me, I think most of my kids have seen prior to uh, my class. So, um, I'm going to be checking this one out. Yes, it's, um, uh, it's you will not be disappointed. It is uh, it is a difficult film. I'll just say yeah, that. Yeah, uh, 
the premise alone sounds like that way. It's going to be comp- yeah. uh, very complicated, but very compelling at the same time. Yeah, um, absolutely. All right. Uh, well, well, I know that you. Two. There you go. All right. Cachet. Do you ever hear of Cachet? Man, I don't know. It sounds familiar. Um, I'm not trying to be like the super arty guy. I got some really well-known films coming up, but again, this oh. this was one um, that is really really compelling to me. Um, it's uh, Juliette Binoche mm-hmm. film. She's in it. Uh, it's made by a filmmaker named Michael Henneke, who you should absolutely know. Yes, who that guy is as a filmmaker, um, and it is. It's a really disturbing thriller. It is a it is a uh, it is a noose that is slowly tightening around your neck from from the first minute you sit down and watch it. Um, and it's um, uh, it also has some political things, some political elements to it. But they're not uh, you're not being hit over the head with them. They're actually really almost subterranean in the plot. Um, very disturbing, very... Um, the film starts off with someone receiving a videotape of... And they put it in, and it's a, it's a shot of their house. Oh. It just, it's just an hour-long shot of their house. They just sit and... And it's... it's you don't know why would someone do that. It's, it's immediately disturbing. I'll just put it that way. Um, I'm a big fan of the filmmaker Michael Henneke. I think he's... Um, you know, he tends to also do very disturbing work. Yeah, Funny Games, for example. <laughs> oh my God, have you seen Funny Games? Yes, that one I have seen. So I am oh not God. totally off on this one. I was going to put that on the list, but I like I, I like Cache a little bit more. Um, Cache is uh, not so kick you in your soul. You yeah, know, Funny Games left me feeling pretty pretty dour afterwards. <laughs> the first time I saw Funny Games was on a date, and the, the oh wow, just like. <laughs> crashed and burned after, <laughs> after we were just both just feeling like we just wanted to crawl up in a ball after funny games yeah yeah that's yeah. a good a good description um looking at cachet i do recognize the box art and um i am a fan of julia binoche so it's it's definitely uh, one that i feel kind of silly for not being more like oh yeah cachet i haven't seen it but i do know all about it so now now i know about it and i'm gonna have to uh write that wrong that's i, I do another podcast uh called movie club with my co-host Corey, where we mm. pick we pick a movie every week that one of us hasn't seen in an effort to uh expand our viewing history because for a long yeah. time uh, it was very very small and i've over the last three or four years i've really pushed myself to uh break out of my comfort zone for one um, but to seek out the films that are considered masterpieces that I either hadn't heard of or for some reason skipped. Um, and this is now yeah, on a, that list. That's a, great, that's a great discipline you have. That's a great kind of just thing to do for yourself, you know? Yeah. I, I've, I've I mean, I started Burke Reviews uh, basically three years ago, and that was a big part of it. Like, the first year I did it, I challenged myself to watch a movie a day for the entire year, and that was a leap year. Um, mm-hmm. So it was 366. I ended up watching 384 and cool. yeah, it's kind of just become my norm now. I, I watched just over 300 last year. I've already watched 143 this year because I've been to three film festivals, so that that helps. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Cache is going to end up as a movie club episode at some point for sure. So yeah, yeah. All right. Well, number three is uh, it's a classic. It's Network. Network's one I'm super familiar with and is on my major gap list. Um, especially given what it's about, because it's uh, it's so up my alley. Network is so prophetic. I mean, to 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 me, it just absolutely blows my mind that 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 film was made in the seventies. Yep, nineteen seventy six. So clearly um, captures where news media went. Um, and I and I, the backstory behind it is kind of interesting. From what I understand. Um, it's a Sidney Lumet film. Mm-hmm. You know, he's actually I got I think I have two Sidney Lumet films on my list. Um, it's written by Patty Chayefsky. Any writer who's worth their weight in salt as a screenplay writer should know who Patty Chayefsky is, because Patty Chayefsky saw that when the funding for news um, news uh, did not have to be accountable for its um, budget. 
news, they lost money on news, but it was news. It was important. You had to have the news, and the news did not have to make money. Yeah. And, and that changed when the network started holding the news accountable for their mm-hmm. own budgets. Guess what? It turned into infotainment, and um, which is where we are now. And we're in, the, we're in this sort of rabbit hole of in, infotainment where people get their news from uh, their own little echo chamber, you know, yeah. Facebook or whatever. And clickbait, right? Like and those, those and, headlines. Yeah, and on and on and on. So um, network is is, uh, and it's also just it's a Sydney Lumet film. It's brilliantly made. It's mm-hmm. brilliantly acted. It's um, the cast is phenomenal too. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, um, uh, yeah. So I mean, it, it's a landmark film, and, and again, it's it's a prophetic film. You're just like, how did this get made in 1976? Um, but Paddy Chayefsky saw where that this was going to go. He he just realized instantly that that this is where we're going to go, and um, sort of cult of personality things in there, and you know network manipulation of its audience. Um, oh, there's all kinds of these really interesting layers in the film about about how our society ends up working when yeah. we when we just digest infotainment and not, and not real news. It's amazing film. Um, man. And, and, uh, I forgot that, I forgot that Sidney Lumet made that film because this third, uh, fourth film on my list is Dog Day Afternoon. Ah. Pacino. I mean, Pacino just on fire. Just, 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 at the peak of his powers, I would say almost. I mean, he's always been amazing, but um, uh, it's kind of a heist film gone wrong with these uh, weird characters, and um, you know, he plays someone who's um, who's married to one woman, but is also homosexual, and. Oh. I, oh, you've never seen it? Yeah, man, you're you're like highlighting my biggest gaps, I think, with your top five. So uh, I I actually own this, um, which oh. is not uncommon. I I am a collector of movies as well. Um, oh, it's yeah, yeah, man, you're uh, exposing my deep gaps that I will be fixing. <laughs> I like it. Um, um, it's uh, I mean, it's. It's so compelling. It's one of those films that that just kind of grabs you uh, right from the beginning, and it, it just has to do with everything. It has to do with Pacino just being uh, so amazing. Um, who's the Who's the uh, the other actor that's in it? Is uh, really great um, character actor um, John Cazale. Mm-hmm. Um, John Cazale was an actor. He was in f- five movies. They were all nominated for Academy Award. He's wow. He, he's uh, he's he's Pacino's brother in um, Fredo in Godfather. Yeah, Fredo in Godfather. You know, okay. he was he did all this amazing stuff, and he's brilliant in this film. He's also he's just, yeah, really kind of wow, broken and creepy and just just riveting every second he's on on the screen. And um, I, I love the way that, that the film deals with his homosexuality. There's not a blink of judgment from the, the director. Um, and this is, the, again, this is a 70s, 70s movie, yeah. where you'd think that some of the cultural judgment would have crept in there a little bit somehow from the writer, from the director, from some of the actors, from something where you, and, and, and it just, it is what it is. He just is who he is. He has this, this, this really interesting, really conflicted life where he's married to a woman, but also wants to be married to another man. And, and, and he's robbing a bank at the same time. It's just, it's just tense and, and and just beautifully executed film. Man, I need more so time. Am <laughs> I four now? Did I do? I want to. You've done four. We're on the last one. Oh, 
oh man, this is not fair again. This is not fair. All right. Well, uh, um, here's the thing. I was going to do either Young Frankenstein or oh. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, and I, I, I realized that I struggled with both of them because um, they're both brilliant and hilarious, and I don't have a lot of humor on here, but. Um, they're also both shot in black and white in the classic style of each of those films. So Young Frankenstein is shot in the classic and black and white style of of a um, you know '30s uh, monster movie. Yep. And Dead Man is shot as a black and white uh, noir uh, gumshoe detective film, um, and they both absolutely nail it. So. Um, I guess, I guess I got to go with Young Frankenstein. Okay, uh, this is the most unfair list, but um, <laughs> just, just, I just can watch that film, and you know, it's one of those films that if it's on and you sit down, you're you're screwed because you're gonna you you just have to keep watching the thing. It's so brilliantly funny and um, yeah, so beautifully shot. I just love the way it looks and. Um, and everybody's so brilliantly funny in it. Um, you know, I mean, I don't, if you're if you're a fan of the film, you can just quote lines endlessly. Mm-hmm. You know, your friends. And I mean, Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks together is a, a winning combination for me. Um, uh, you know, I'm a, I like a lot of the Mel Brooks movies. I even like Spaceballs and Robin Hood Man <laughs> in Tights, which a lot of people hate on. Um, but I grew up watching those, so those are the ones that I connected with most. But Young Frankenstein is brilliant and. Uh, Gene Wilder, easily one of my favorite comedic actors, um, and God, the jokes in this movie—they they come from so many directions. It, it's amazing. So yeah, uh, definitely, definitely worthy of a top five list for sure. Right. I mean, I, you know, especially with all this dark Darwin's Nightmare and Network and Cache and all these films that I've talked about that are really kind of difficult and disturbing and 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 tough films to watch i i think it's good that we remember that humor is you know mm-hmm. we need humor as well so i wanted to definitely throw some young frankenstein in there but don't you know don't skip out on dead men don't wear plot either uh, which that one i uh is came out the year i was born 1982 and mm. i need to see it um oh. I, so i'm, I'm kind of glad you went with frankenstein so i at least saw one of your movies <laughs> I'm rocking your world. You are, but uh, Steve Martin and a, and a comedic noir, I'm, I'm in, because I'm a big oh. fan of noir films, so. Oh, yeah, 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 there's, 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 that will not be a wasted hour and a half of your life. And I gotta say, too, looking at your list here, and, like, you pointing out the, the darkness of the films, it, it has that, if you don't look at it, you can't see kind of thing going on, you know, these are tough films yeah. to watch, but they, they deal with subjects that should be looked at and thought about, and pondered on and then you can also look at young frankenstein and there you know i mean the whole idea of frankenstein has that premise as well right like this the idea of playing god and creating um life from death is is such a challenging subject when done in a dark way but you know mel brooks does it in this super funny entertaining way with a great musical number i mean (laughs) yeah 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 no it's a it's a it's a -a one-of-a-kind film i mean if you think about it I know I, I paired it with Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, but um, so maybe it's a two in a kind film. I don't know how you put that, but it's a super <laughs> unique film. I mean, you think of it. What what else is out there that's similar? You know? Yeah. Uh, a horror, a monster horror movie send up. Uh, not don't don't really happen that often. Not on that level. No. You know? And that it feels like a sequel in a lot of ways to Frankenstein. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 it's true. Um, yeah. Uh, well, Pablo, that is your top five. Um, sorry that it was so stressful, um, but I do agree. Like these lists are fluid, uh, especially if you're constantly watching movies. Like I haven't seen four of yours, so if I watch any of these, these could end up on my top five immediately. So it's definitely always changing and. Um, it's yeah. definitely hard to put them in a, a dis, uh, decisive order, though I always end up going with my um, kind of more like what I obsessed over the most, like Back to the Future, Jurassic Park. Um, and my most recent one on my top five is always Scott Pilgrim versus the World. I'm a huge mm. Edgar Wright fan. Um, his his movies just seem to work with my uh, sensibilities like spot on. But 
Um, that's a movie that's just really, really well made. I mean, uh, it's so well shot. And, oh yeah. Uh, uh, it, it, it's funny because it's it's not, you know, in terms of depth, I wouldn't say it's a very deep film. No. But it, it's it's just it's just delightful and engaging and and just really. Uh, just sort of uh, sparkling with the right kind of energy. Yeah, you know? it's it's super kinetic. Everything's everything's moving. Like the, the yeah. even the editing, like it's it's yeah. so snappy, quick. The comedy's there. Um, I was a musician for a long time, so I connect with it on that level too. It's mm-hmm. just it it literally checks all of my boxes, and that's it's always ends up being like my number one. But again, um, I'm always looking for a movie to to knock it off. You know, I I can't wait to find the next one that hits me like that film did because. Uh, I love I love movies. I've you know it's been my my longest run and um, Pablo. I'm I'm very grateful for you doing the the show. Um, it's my pleasure. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Um, and same to you. Uh, are there any way people can follow you? Like, are you on Twitter? Are you on Instagram or anything? Uh, we have a Mr. Fish documentary page on Facebook. <clears throat> we have um, Mr. Fish doc movie on Instagram. I think that's our handle, Mr. Fish Talk Movie. Um, and we do have a Twitter page, and I think that one is just at Mr. Fish Movie. Um, yeah, our, our Instagram is Mr. Fish Doc Movie. Instagram's great for Fish because he's a cartoonist, and I, I will just post a lot of oh, great. Uh, cartoons. Facebook is probably the best way to just follow the film and you know where we're going to be screening what's going on and and hopefully very soon where you can see the film you know online on a a streaming service so uh, we're we're out there well everybody uh follow them on facebook instagram or twitter and um keep an eye out because mr fish could be playing somewhere near you sooner than you think um, I highly recommend it. My review is up at BurkeReviews.com, so if you want to know a little bit more about my thoughts on the film, you can read that. Um, until next time, uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back. Keep watching movies. <laughs>